0: Haslam is crowned king of the mountain. Now he aims to climb his Everest and take the title. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go. Yes, this is episode 74 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101 as we look back on the Cadwell Park round of the British Superbike Championship as Leon Haslam continues his inexorable rise towards his first british championship he took another double last weekend at cadwell park not that it was easy by any stretch but he is starting to make this rise towards the championship look rather easy isn't he um we'll look back at all the action from cadwell last weekend as haslam doubled up uh, and bradley ray took a double rostrum to virtually book his place in the showdown six come the end of the season Few few other riders signalled their intent for the championship as we head towards the end of the season with Jake Dixon challenging Haslam all the way for victory in race two before he overshot it. Um, and other riders look like they've secured their spots now. Glenn Irwin is virtually secured now, as is Josh Brooks, although he had a weekend to forget at Cadwell. And we now look like we have three riders battling for one remaining spot uh, at the Silverstone triple header in two weeks' time. We'll get into all of that over the course of the next hour or so. We'll also cover all of the news that's been breaking over the last few days since we last spoke to you here on Bike Live with uh, Aruba Ducati's second World Superbike ride now looking slightly clearer. Um, we have Sam Lowe's making another switch in, rider, in in teams for his Moto2 campaign in 2019. And we have the identity of the second KTM rider in uh, Silverstone this weekend for the MotoGP with Paul Espargaro still injured. We will also look ahead to that very race before we go at the end of this show. Uh, It's a Grand Prix on the MotoGP calendar that pretty much always delivers these days, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, and we will look ahead to that uh, before we go. We will also as well uh, bring you something, a segment that we were going to bring you last week and uh, bring you our thoughts on the World Superbike Global Fan Survey uh, as the sport looks to uh, ask for the fans' opinion on how the sport should move forward. Uh, Joining me to do all of that once again uh, is Andre Harrison. Andre, welcome. Bonjour, and
1: uh, yes, uh, pleasure to be with you guys as well. Uh, yeah, like again, we're not going to lie to you—not the most thrilling Cadwell Park weekend. Um, some interesting finishes, and then we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, very excited for Silverstone this, this upcoming weekend and in, in for, for MotoGP, even though we're losing a colleague for
0: the weekend. God damn right. you, Lewis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the second time in three race weekends we have a member of the Bike Live team who's going to be at the circuit track side. Um uh, this weekend. Yeah, it's almost like we're trying to make ourselves sound important here or something. Um, yeah, it's almost like we're trying to be journalists or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be masquerading as one this weekend. Um explain on that one. So um so yeah, I'll try and uh, look like I belong. Um, <laughs> I've been trying this for four years and I'm still struggling. Um but uh but yeah, it's it's interesting in that uh, uh, Dre was given a question, or he was given sent a comment by Kevin Walsh on Twitter around the time of BSB last weekend, um, mm. in reference to Dre's comment re- uh, lately that it wasn't the greatest weekend racing-wise. And uh, Kevin Walsh said, "BSB has been dirt this year." Um, <laughs> we'll, well, we'll get into that. Whether we truly agree with that, I would see where he's been coming, where he's coming from. Just when you look at the championship uh, standings at the yeah. moment, yeah, I, I, um, I could See why somebody would think that. Let's put it that way. <sighs> um, but uh, but yeah, we will uh, we will get into that uh, over the course uh, of this week's show. Because uh, given what else is going on at the moment, BSB is pretty much the only event of uh, to speak of on this week's podcast. Um, so we'll get into that shortly. Before we do that, though, um, the places you can find us, facebook.com forward slash motorsport One Hundred and One. Twitter, you can follow us at at Motorsport underscore 101, which many, many of you have done recently. Thank you very much for all of you that have got involved with our recent giveaway and followed us. Um, But, Dre, um, since we last spoke and pretty much since last night, um, we have a winner, as as they say.
1: We have a winner. Congratulations to Firecrest Gaming on, on the Twitters who won our competition. Selected at random amount. i have a ninety of you retweet it. So thanks very much to everyone that took part. You know, come for the games and you know, stay for the podcast. Um, at, least, at, least, at least I hope you do anyway. But so, uh, congrats to Firecrest Gaming. I've literally in the last hour sent your copy away via the power of Amazon Prime delivery. It's 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 a it's a, it's a good service. If if you ask me, it should be there on release day, August twenty fourth. Congratulations uh, t- to you, sir. And enjoy the game. And uh, tell them I sent you. Um, so yeah, enjoy it. Don't worry, there'll be plenty more giveaways coming soon over the coming weeks and months so uh if you missed out on this one don't worry there'll be plenty more coming so it's, uh oh and massive thanks to uh you know who at code moss who hooked us up on um to be able to make the whole competition possible so uh i'm not going to say names just because i don't want to drop anybody in it potentially but you know who you are and you are amazing so thank you um and thanks to everyone at cody's for helping us out on that one much appreciated
0: <laughs> uh, at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, if you uh, want to uh, get involved with us on Twitter and that's where uh, any future giver is, that's the place you'll need to go uh, for all the information on that. You can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101 uh, with our weekly show highlights uh, going up over there. Um, our written content, the place to find that is Motorsport101.com. And that is our website. And uh, if you like us so much that you want to pack us financially and uh, early access, uh, to both our weekly shows um, you'll know this already by listening to this very podcast but they're coming earlier than normal this week um, based yep. on the uh, the recording schedule and the fact that I'm kind of busy from Thursday so they'll all be edited up and finished <laughs> by then um, he's on a coach patreon.com <laughs> forward slash motorsport 101 if you back us at the $5 level um, you'll earn yourself uh, early access to both of our podcasts if you're back at the $10 level um, you will be able to uh, join our discord server and listen to these podcasts live as they are recorded but due to the uh, rather bizarre time that we are recording this uh, it's eleven kind thirty of, uh, in the morning. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of an empty room because uh, we're recording this at eleven o'clock on a Tuesday morning. Uh, yeah. We tend to record these at a slightly more uh, sociable time normally to give you all the chance to listen in. So uh, we'll be yes. back to normal service uh, next week. Um, right then, uh, let's get into the BSB action at Cadwell Park last weekend, the uh, latest round of the championship, with uh, the penultimate round of the regular season, if you want to term it that way, before the uh, showdown starts um, at Alton Park in September, um, and the action at the front really did uh, serve two purposes. We saw one rider looking to bank the podium points and put himself in a position for the showdown when it starts and one rider who was just making sure he got in to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. So so where do we want to start on this one, Dre? Uh, we have Leon Haslam who did what Leon Haslam does and that's double up and win both races. But we also had a Probably should we start with Bradley Ray because he was kind of the story of the weekend in many respects. Yeah. Um, in that he was back and form and it started in qualifying when he took a pole position, a much needed pole position. Um, and when we're talking about a circuit like Cadwell Park, which I would say is the closest we have in bike terms to a Monaco, um, because it is so narrow. Um, you know, it's even a circuit where the bikes look big. Um, around yeah, Cadwell Park. Cool, yeah. Uh, and. There's only really, to my mind, one true overtaking spot, uh, which is at the end of the back straight into part corner. Um, yeah. You know, There are a couple of other corners where we've seen overtakes, like complete dive bomb, block passes, work out, but only one genuine overtaking spot where everyone will have a go. Um, so in that play, in that sense, it lends itself to Monaco as well, where there's only there are very little places you could overtake. So that pole position took on added importance for Bradley Ray um, to get himself up the front and be able to, you know, get track positionally in races and defend a lead um but it has to be said he, he came away with two seconds he didn't necessarily win either race in the end but it looked like the Bradley Ray of Donington and Brands Indy at the start of the season didn't it and it was a re- race weekend that for many many reasons Bradley Ray badly needed
1: yeah don't yeah don't don't sell the build base about the uh bad runner form that Bradley <laughs> had in the middle We'll sweep that to one side, uh, as Jack Bernickel pointed out on commentary a couple of weeks ago. But uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. This was this was a, a weekend that Bradley Ray very badly needed. It was a weekend after just splatters of retirements, poor finishes, you know, bad luck, you name it, he had it. And you know, he was actually, you know, ticking off a few people in the paddock as well, like Glen Irwin after, you know, crashes involving him, collecting other people. It, it was a bad run of form for Bradley. And, and, and you know what, his eyes probably got a bit too big after riding for Suzuka and, you know, getting opportunities and probably being the hype of british bike racing right now and why wouldn't you he be he's, 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 he's this weekend proved once again he is an exceptionally talented kid and uh yeah this the story of the weekend for me was most certainly bradley ray's comeback um and uh yeah like two very strong second places um especially in race one where he, he was right up against, against haslam all the way to the flag just didn't quite have a, a winning move in him at the end uh, Haslam, again, tactically was was, was spot on in, in judging that race yet again. Um, but you know, t- t- Suzuki was competitive and Bradley Ray brought it into competitive positions on both races and did a very, very good job. And those 40 points, he very badly needed. And uh, with that, he now probably, for all accounts, is into the showdown from a realistic standpoint now. And hey, the podium credits he now has from those really big high side finishes, like like the two wins at Donington and the three other second places, um, means he's not a million miles away from a very good showdown position, even if he's only fifth on regular season points right now. So a a very, very useful weekend for Bradley Ray and a reminder of how good he can be.
0: Mm. In terms of like, if we, if we, it's showdown corrected points, if you like. He's, he's third at the moment, is Bradley Bray. Um, you know, and we, we always we, we say this a lot through the season. We say, if the showdown were to start now, here's what it would look like. Well, the showdown does start in three races' time, so it's now taking on uh, even more importance. It's now becoming kind of real, these podium points. They actually now mean something. Um, and we'll, we'll tell you how far ahead <laughs> Haslam's going to be uh, shortly. Uh-huh. But J- uh, Jake Dixon and Bradley Bray would only be three points apart in second and third now, um, as it stands. Um, once Silverstone is out of the way because all three of the riders that we just spoke of, Haslam, Dixon, and now Ray, look like, well, two of them are, and one of them is almost certainly going to join the others uh, in that showdown. Um, and it was interesting in that first race, I thought, Dre, I mean, Bradley Ray, although he finished second in race two, he was never a really a race-winning contender, and we'll, we'll explain why shortly. Um, he was, you know, he inherited second at the end rather than finishing as close second like he did in race one. Um, mm. But... Haslam always looked like he was biding his time behind Bradley Ray in that first race, and then with three laps to go, he picked his moment into park corner and just drilled him, and he didn't pull away. I mean, Bradley Ray was still able to stick with him for the final three laps and put the pressure on, but it, it kind of made me think about the way the showdown changes seasons. Mm. And, you know, we've we say we've said this every year when we record these we, these podcasts, when we record by Live, we always talk about the scenarios the showdown throws up, and... You can never truly prepare for every scenario in terms of the way you structure a season, because always the you know, seasons are always different from one to the next. But what we saw this weekend, I thought, was was slightly odd in that in a normal season, take MotoGP now and take what we saw last weekend in Austria um, with Jorge Lorenzo and Marc Marquez, where Lorenzo was the guy in what fifth in the championship as Bradley Ray, ironically, is um, uh-huh. where. There was little pressure on him. He could afford to take an absolute risk and a banzine to that final corner um, at Austria because he wanted the win. Mark Marquez, who leads the championship in MotoGP and leads it quite comfortably, would have been in a position where he would have been much less likely to take that big risk into the final corner because he has a championship lead to defend. Certainly, um, that's, and, that's something. And, so. and, and doesn't want to lose. You know, he needs the 20 points more than he needs a crash. Um, whereas, oddly, because of the showdown and because of the... The fact that Haslam was already in the top six comfortably and wants podium points and doesn't really need a, you know, a... DNF doesn't really hurt him in that respect. But Bradley Ray needs the 20 points and needs to get in that top six. The roles were kind of reversed last weekend with Haslam and Ray in race one. Whereas Bradley Ray was in a position at the end of that race where he could perhaps have put a banzai on Haslam to try and win the race. But Haslam, despite being the comfortable dominant championship leader... He could afford afforded ENF. He could afford to take the risk. But Bradley Ray, who was fifth overall, he couldn't really afford it, could he? He needed those 20 points because he, he couldn't afford another non-score because he'd be out of the top six.
1: Quite right. And let's not forget that the extra difference between first and second is also two extra podium credits. And that was probably what Haslam was thinking going into that. Like every podium credit advantage he could get is going to be critical for what is a, essentially a seven round championship in the showdown. And that's probably why Haslam went for it so bad. I mean, okay. Haslam, I think just wants to win everything at this point. And I don't blame him yeah. um, because he's, he's written, he's written so well this year and he wants to cement it. And he knows that. I think that Brooks is going to be a threat in the second half of the season, especially at Brands at the end of the season, when which is a triple header.
0: Yeah, he's probably mindful as well but, of what happened to him last year at Brands, and he, he wants every point possible on the board before yeah. he gets there.
1: Yeah, he wants as big a buffer as possible going into that final triple header weekend. Um, but you're right, the roles were sort of reversed. Haslam was the one that was being aggressive and working for a race victory, while Bradley Ray was almost seem I don't want to say content, but he, he, he wasn't as pushing it as hard as I felt like he could have done, or maybe should have done, to try and win that race, where I think Bradley was thinking, let me just get these twenty points yeah. for the show, and then get free podium credits.
0: He, he, um, he could not afford another non-score.
1: Exactly. It was. It was it, the, the like amazingly the risky thing for Bradley was going for the for the win rather than going for second <laughs> because who needs he, like stuffed the podium credits? Like if you're not getting twenty points here, and you, and you crash, you might not make the showdown at all. So you know. Like, it's, it's kind of a weird role reversal, but uh, hey, both effective in that sense.
0: Mm, both effective. And and what does this tell us about Bradley Ray, I suppose, this weekend? I mean, as, as, as we've referenced, Jack Burnicle was one of those. And we've, we've been the same on this show. There have been questions asked of Bradley, um, not in terms of, you know, what we think of him as a rider in general, but just, you know, he's, clear, he's been clearly going through a bad run of whether you think it was his fault or the teams or the bikes or just a combination of just bad luck. He had had a bad run of results. We could say that. No question. Um, uh, no question. Bradley Ray, um, and it had it had gone on for a little little bit of a long time. You know, he had the the weekend at Thruxton where he would looked pretty quick at times, but he had that crash with Bucken, and you know the the, the run of um, poor results was beginning to stack up, and it was beginning to put his very season at risk. And we were starting to question how Bradley Ray was going to handle it. Um, this weekend, with pressure starting to build on him. Whether it's from you know, external factors like the media or whether it's just his placing the showdown that's putting that pressure on him. Bradley Ray came up with an answer uh, at Cadwell Park. And um, I, I think it tells us a lot, not just about how talented he is, because I think we know that already, but there is clearly a, a strong mentality there with Bradley Ray that he's able to carry this pressure on his shoulders and deal with it. Um, and I, I guess when we think of Bradley Ray, we need to keep, uh, keep it into perspective of where he is as a rider in his career. Um, and we probably shouldn't escape the fact we, our, our expectations of Bradley Ray did rise after what we saw at Donington and at Brands GP at the start of the season, understandably because he took two wins in a second in his first three races um, but when we look at where he is now, and he's now pretty much certain of a showdown sport if we'd have spoken before the season started before Donington Park and he arrived with that incredible double if we'd have spoken then about Bradley Ray making the showdown, we would have probably spoken about that as a tre- tremendous achievement, wouldn't we?
1: We would, um, uh, but now it feels more like that's the minimum expectation of Bradley right now. Because I think we were so excited after Donington and after some of his very strong performances in last year's showdown and the chase for the paperweights. It's 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 gotten to a point now where it's like we expect Bradley Ray to be in contention for wins, being on the podiums, like. This is a guy that looked like he was clearly going to be the third major wheel in the title fight at the start of the season between him, Shaky, and Haslam. We thought Ray was going to be the number three dude coming off Thornton. And you know what? He could very well still be that by the time we get to the showdown and by the time we get to the end of the season. But the expectations are now higher. And it's it's the old paradox I used to describe with Valentino Rossi. It's the, okay, are we judging this guy as a, as a young prospect he's only going to get better? Or are we looking at him as a title contender now? And, and the thing is, I, can... I
0: think I think it's sort of an answer to that. I still think we're allowed to to judge him by the first of those because he is still, we we, we forget, I suppose. And again, it comes back to his, his own performances earlier in the season, raising the expectations. This is still a rider who's only in his second full season as a British superbike rider. And last season, right. in his first season, he was only 11th overall. He had some great results towards the end of the season, which sort of put him on the radar. Uh, but he was mm-hmm. 11th overall last season. And this is only his second full season as a British superbike rider at this level
1: hmm Exactly. Like this is this is still you know
0: For any rider is, at that stage of their career, this is a tremendous season he's having. Yeah,
1: it's a fantastic season. It's his it's the second full time year in the class. You know, Suzuki have come a long way in the last year and a half. And yeah, he's the only Suzuki worth a damn in the championship. Which is teammate Richard Cooper's thirteenth right now and and you know, he's over a hundred you know, almost a hundred points back. So the way it's going right this is still a great, great season for Bradley Ray and yeah, I think he may have been a little bit overly harsh in, in his mid-season form, but he's still putting together some really good results. And he's now a bona fide race winner in this class and is a guy that now looks like a top contender. Um, and he probably will be for a, you know at least another season or you know, whatever his future takes him. He's still only 21 at the end of the day. And, you know, he the, the potential is sky high with this kid. And I'm sure it will show in the long run about just what he's capable of, but... uh yeah, like it's it's easy to forget we are dealing with a 21 year old in just his second full time season in in you know in in, in competition this strong. Um, even without Shaky, it's still a ridiculously talented field. We have many a, a regular showdown runner um, that he's in front of right now, like Hickman, you know, like Christian in you know, like Jason Halloran and Dan Linford. Yeah, they've been unlucky here and there this season. Like Bridewell's another one we'll get to later as well, but. Um, yeah, there is a lot going on with Bradley Ray and um, with all the hype and with all the, you know, criticism that's that's come his way as well from, from and you know, don't get me wrong, a lot of it was valid. Hmm. It's easy, it's easy to, to forget that with Bradley and get swept up in the hype, but uh, he's still an incredibly talented kid and he's only going to get better as time goes on and yeah, he's still by any measure having an incredible season.
0: Mm. And, he, and he does still have a, a tremendous future um in 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 motorcycle racing a future that's probably going to take him beyond the british superbike championship um and on into world championship level because he is that good i think potentially Um mm-hmm. as he's shown this season with his wildcard outing at donington in world Superbikes and his outing at the suzuki race hour where he heavily impressed um a number of the suzuki bigwigs um leon haslam then who beat him to victory in race one and in the end beat jake dixon in race two we'll talk about it in a moment and we'll talk about his weekend because he had a few adventures um mm-hmm. haslam we we waxed lyrical about him on several occasions this season so there's very little we can add to what we've already said on haslam but the two races we saw dre and in a way they were both very similar kinds of wins where he narrowly beat a guy who was you know a younger guy who was just you know in, in many ways still emerging you can argue jake dixon is as well um and was it in the end Haslam's experience that showed at the end? I mean, he, he just seemed to me he just showed in, in so many respects, not just his speed, his race craft, his, um, his his experience. As I mentioned, he showed in both races, and I guess the the move that Dixon attempted on him in race two just just exemplified it. Just showed how difficult these days Leon Haslam is to beat.
1: Yeah, that that that's the bottom line for me is that in, when Haslam is in a dogfight, he tends to be winning them now and. He's an in very he's a I remember going back to Brand Hatch at Indy, like the, the the race in the wet where Glenn Irwin, you know, showed him a wheel a couple of times and you know Glenn showed off the, the last corner dive bomb a lap early and then Haslam was ready for it on the final lap and then Glenn just could not go the long way around and that's what got Haslam a, a critical victory at that point in the season to you know to reestablish his place in the championship fight. Um that was his first win of the season in, in that Brand Hatch race too, and you know, that started the run of five Straight, um, Haslam is very. Like, the experience is showing with him. You know, Haslam's been around a long time now, and you know, with Shaky gone, he's kind of like the elder statesman in the series now. Because let's be, we're seeing a, a great wave of younger talent shine through beneath him. Look at the names: Jake Dixon, Glenn Irwin bradley ray in fifth peter hickman sixth danny buck in seventh christian in eighth these are these are younger dudes that are starting to come through in this series now these are guys that are going to be the, the future backbone of the series no question um you know talented guys look, look, look we don't talk enough about how great a road racer P- peter hickman is as well I know, he's, I know he's 31 but that's still not all that old in 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 bsb senses but Hickman's a fantastical round. The Bucken's another great young talent. Eden was a guy that you know before he had that massive injury last year was challenging for wins. Um, it's Taz, it's a Taz great
0: McKenzie. series.
1: Yeah, as well, he's a yeah. This year. Taz McKenzie's had, has had some fantastic rides this year. Should have had a podium at Brands Hatch earlier this season. So yeah, you're absolutely right that you know like there's there's a lot of really great talent coming through in BSP right now, and there's going to be a lot of staple dudes for the next half decade or so at least, and. Haslam is is out here taking souls. He's just been so good. Like he's only his lowest points finish was as you mentioned before the show was ninth. That was a, that was a ninth in the first round on and turn around when where the team openly admitted they got the tire choice wrong. He's only finished fourth twice since then. Every other race has been podiums, and you know nine wins now for the season already. He has a one hundred point regular season lead um, he's over Jake
0: over twenty points a race.
1: Yeah. He, like, in other words, if Haslam sees the flag, which he has every single race, he's not had a DNF, which is another big part of his success. He's not, he's finished every single race in the top ten this year, and only once outside the top four. You'd think that was a Jonathan Ray, right? Like, scorecard the way he's going him out this season, and yeah, the the way he's going right now, like, no one's going to touch him the way that he's has been out because he is the he's the most complete rider in the field now. Um, shaky would probably have been the only guy that could have given him a fair run for his money um, who has similar levels of experience and pace and all the intangibles that make a rider great. And Haslam just has all that in spades. He's fast. He's tactical. He's clinical. He knows when to make the moves and when not to, he never really goes over the limit too, too often. And even if he does, it's, it's not often then it's, it's not by enough to ruin a race. He knows what to do, and he has. That's something that a lot of a lot of guys around him just don't quite have. That maybe Josh Brooks is the only other guy in recent times that has had that experience, um, who's contending for this year's title. But uh, it's it's Haslam's to lose now. It really is. He's he's, he's, he's already. I mean, if the showdown started tomorrow, he's going to have a thirty-one point showdown lead, um, which means he's already got a race in hand in a seven-race championship, and. Uh, that's a terrifying thought for everybody else and he could probably wrap it up by race one at Brands. If, and think um, uh, think and of it this
0: way as well. If he, if he extends that at Sulpstein, which he may well do, if he gets that beyond 35 points, we could actually have a real scenario where the championship leader going into the showdown, which is supposed to be this amazing format that closes everything up, the championship leader going into the showdown could actually afford to finish second in every race and still win the title.
1: Yeah, it, it would not be inconceivable um, to have a... Uh, uh, like it's well that's the thing like it's you, you, no he can't because that's the thing like there's 15 podium credits available for the win That the max we could have would be 46 and seven races seven point difference 49 so it's not quite that bad no, no,
0: but no what i'm saying is if he, if he has uh, if he has 35 points that's the equivalent to you know the five point difference between first and second seven times um, oh, and quite right, yes. Yeah, and, 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 and he could just format. follow Jake Dixon home for the 7th. Seven- yeah, my bad. I, I was
1: using the F1 scoring format yeah. for a second. It's 25, 18, 15. My bad. Um. <laughs> which, um, which, yeah,
0: which, which right. kind of wouldn't really, in what the showdown's supposed to be about, is a really. I mean, it just goes to show, I suppose, that if whatever championship format you're trying to throw at a series, it, if a guy's dominant, he's going to win it. You know, you could try and stop him out the way you want, but the best will still win in, in, in the end. Um, and Haslam, I just hope, because um, the championship doesn't need this, the showdown certainly doesn't need this, I just hope that we don't have any kind of injury that steps in for Haslam here um, mm-hmm. and, and denies him, because Leon Haslam could afford at the moment to take the next two or three rounds off, even if he got injured. He could come back for, say, Assen or Branch DP, and he'd probably still be either leading the championship or close to it. Um, yeah. But obviously, once the showdown comes in, it would heavily punish bad luck, injuries... You know, we saw Haslam sort of both of those last year at the final race of the season. Um, and it's almost got to the point, I don't know about you, Dre, but it's got to the point now where, for me, with Haslam, where even if he does get some bad luck in the showdown, that's kind of what it's about. But given how dominant he's been this season, I feel that anyone other than Haslam winning this championship this season wouldn't really make me feel right.
1: Yeah, I mean, how can a guy win nine times in the regular season plus whatever he could get in the showdown and not win the championship? Yeah, like, some sort
0: like of has- scenario happens in the showdown where, say, Haslam has a couple of engine blow-ups or we have a couple of wet races where Haslam gets caught out and crashes. Fair enough, that's the sport, that's what it's about. But I still wouldn't feel comfortable with that happening and someone else nipping in and winning the championship from Haslam given how much better he's been than everyone else this year.
1: Yeah, imagine Josh Brooks wins it and a guy that didn't have a podium for the first eight races somehow wins a championship. This is the problem with the showdown format. When you condense a championship down to seven races, it doesn't tell you the full story. And and with with that, like Haslam has been the class of the field this year. Okay, Shaky got hurt. That's bike racing, unfortunately. And, you know, of course, we were Shaky the best. But, you know, he had a testing crash. It happens. It can happen to anyone. And... Uh, you can you, can, you can, in the case of Haslam, you can only beat who they put in front of you, and and Haslam has been dominant, dominant this season, and he he's he's in a class above everybody else in BSB right now, and. There's no getting around it. He is the deserved champion, in my opinion, no matter what happens. Because how can anybody say anybody else is a worthy title winner in this scenario when Haslam has been this good um, over the course of the entire season? It just wouldn't sit right with me otherwise. He's doing a brilliant job, and he deserves all the plaudits for it.
0: Yeah, he does. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, anyway, looking at the issue of the showdown, I, I, I cannot remember since this format's been in, since 2010. I don't think the championship's ever been won from lower than, say, second or third at the start of the okay. showdown um, anyway. So it, it would still take an amazing sequence of results to deny him, but he is looking um, almost unbeatable at the moment. Um, the guy who gave, made the best go of it beating him was in race two, Jake Dixon, um, who had uh, an overtake attempt that I think we could all understand him making at the final, uh, on the final lap, going to park the corner, into the back straight. He, he went for the inside and just outbraced himself really. Um, now before we talk about his weekend in general, uh, Dre, uh, Jake Dixon seemed to have one or two gripes about the way Haslam defended the lead on the final lap. And, uh, I think from our point of view, uh, we can understand Dixon not being happy because it's the final lap and he didn't win the race, but does he really have any leg to stand on? And does Haslam really have any case to answer here?
1: no. Um, <laughs> um, is the short answer on this one? I, I mean, I, in my opinion, a lot of world class riders stick their legs out under braking. Like it just seems, it seems like a very convenient time for Dixon to bring that up. I mean, again, okay, greatest every...
0: of them all does it. It's, what do we always hear it called? The doctor's dangle by like Keith Ewan. It's a Valentino Rossi move. But,
1: um, but like I said, no matter which way you slice it, like. The way way it's going right now, like Haslam has got is is a class apart from everybody else. He sticks his leg out under braking. A lot of really great riders do, and like Dixon called it naughty, and like I disagree. I I disagree entirely. I think Haslam was outraced him. I I, I just genuinely think that. I mean, he knew that's the only realistic place you're going to be able to pass somebody at Carabao Park. It's not a very pass happy circuit. It's very one line through the vast majority of it and very that's narrow, just a na- very narrow it's just the nature of the circuit it's hard to pass here and there's there's no getting around it and yeah like i, I i've watched the replay of the in, uh, uh, of the overtaking question i didn't read anything into it i just thought it was another well-raced well-defended good fight between dixon and has where dixon eventually cracked and you know, Dixon. Of course, he's going to try. He's going, of course, he's going to try for the win. He has not had very many of this season. It's just the one, I believe. And you know, it's of course he's going to try. And of course, he's going to be a little bit salty if he doesn't quite get there. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's just, it's one of those things where you just. You, I think Dixon just got a little bit salty, to be honest with you, after the race and wanted to wanted to take his frustration out on an element of Haslam's game because I think he's just too good at the moment and. Uh, no i i I didn't read anything into haslam's um into haslam's dangle if you want to call it that but uh, keith Hewitt
0: calls it um yeah yeah in terms of i i agree and i i thought it was i mean it's a a type of defense and i don't think it was haslam's putting his leg out that stopped dixon from going through it was the fact that haslam covered the inside line so much He, he didn't stick to the racing line he moved sort of halfway to the middle of the road um and it's it's the type of type of defensive tactic that we don't see a lot in bike racing we see it a lot in car racing uh where, yes you know you, the, the the driver in front will immediately go to the inside and basically force the other guy to go around the outside of him um mm-hmm. and we don't see that a lot in bike racing because obviously you want to try and carry as much corner speed as possible um and you know the the tighter you take the corner the more lean, lean the more lean angle you've got to carry um and the more chance you have of crashing um and that was essentially what Haslam was doing. I mean, the most obvious example we've had of it in, in bike racing was Sykes and Ray in, in Thailand that time where Sykes kept c- cutting in front of Ray and not giving him the chance to go up the inside of him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we saw it here with, with, with Haslam where he essentially was saying to Jake Dixon, this is your only chance of overtaking me. You're going to you're gonna have to overtake me here. You're either going to have to go around the outside of me or you're going to have to cut this corner so tight and you know, you're not going to make the corner by doing so. And that's exactly what happened. Um, to Jake Dixon. He, had to, he still went for the inside, and no one could blame him for doing that. Um, but uh-huh. to make the corner, he would have had to slow down so much. He would have had to you know, cut that corner so tight that he probably wouldn't be able to carry the speed on the way out anyway. Haslam would have gone back uh-huh. through. Uh, and to carry the enough, the enough speed to outbrake Haslam, who's so good on the brakes, he went off the other side of the corner anyway and onto the grass. Um, so for me, it was just a perfectly judged defensive ride on that final lap from Haslam that Dixon was unable to get around. And, and Dixon's in a, a kind of funny spot at the moment, Ray, isn't he? Where he's, we've seen it over the last two rounds now, Thruxton and here, where he's pretty much been neck and neck with Haslam at the end of all four races. Um, mm-hmm. He very nearly beat him uh, to the win in race one at Thruxton. Probably should have beat him. You could argue Dixon lost that race rather than Haslam winning it. Dixon then did beat Haslam to the, to the end of race two, although it wasn't for the win. It was only for third. And then they were very close in both races at Thruxton. He's at that stage now, Dixon, where he's still not won anywhere other than Knock Hill. He's very close and probably closer than he's ever been at other circuits. He's competitive as he's ever been in the British Superbike Championship, but he's still not at that stage where he's winning enough. And with the showdown coming up, he's still a little bit shorter where he needs to be, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean again it's the old evaluation on you know what's a fair line for Jake Dixon who's been around a little bit longer at top level. I mean he's still only 22 Jake Dixon, let's not forget that and you know he's gone well in other places before like Olson Park in the showdown last year. He had that brilliant ride through um ride through to fourth place. I mean like Dixon like Dixon is a phenomenally talented rider. Um but if we are ev- if if we are evaluating of a major championship he's not quite there yet and he needs to start winning in places that aren't not kill if he if he ever really wants to have that conversation about winning a title he's been the most consistent man in the field not named leon haslam this season and that's been clear nine podium finishes in the last 11 races you know he, yeah, like the he, only
0: two races that weren't on the podium above fourths as well
1: yeah he's had a fantastic run of form to get uh, to get a clear second place he's racked up minor podium credits here and there just the just obviously just the one win and not kill race one and Haslam stole a round off him there as well which wasn't ideal for his championship campaign either. Um, but again, no matter which way you slice it, like this is this is who he is and like he's just not quite there yet. He needs a little bit more, at least from where I'm sitting, before we can really start you know talking about major championships. He needs to, he needs to win more races. He needs to start thinking like how can I convert some of these podiums into you know five or six wins a season and that'll be enough to make him a major title threat it's just not quite there yet and hey if Dixon finishes second overall this season it'll be a phenomenal achievement for him don't get me wrong he's had a terrific season by anyone's standards but the back of his head as a bike rider Jake's gonna be thinking I want to win this championship and you know what he doesn't want to be a super bike rider forever he made it quite clear when he was in MotoGP in Austria. He wants to go down the GP road. So I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be looking to stick around in BSB for very long if he can help it. So and what helps with that? Winning championships.
0: Mm. Yeah, it does. And I think one thing we sometimes lose sight of, and I often lose sight of it as well when I'm thinking about Dixon is, he is still riding for what is very much an independent team um, oh, yeah. in, in the British Superbike Championship, which I mean, the team are doing a terrific job, the RAF regular reserves team, um, to, to put Dixon on track in such a competitive bike with such a competitive package. Obviously, Haslam and JG Speed are very much the uh, kawasaki Bats factory team in, in BSB. Um, and yeah, Dixon, as you say, is clearly... I mean, in terms of outright race wins, you'd probably say Brooks is the number two guy in the series to Haslam. But in terms of the season that we've seen, looking at the entire campaign and the championship standards reflect it, Dixon is clearly the next best guy after Haslam. And... You know, when we're seeing how good Haslam's been this season, that's no bad, no bad thing to say about a rider. You know, to be, you know, the fact that only Leon Haslam is better than you in this series means you're clearly very, very good yourself. Um, yeah. And, and Dixon is having a tremendous season, but yeah, for it to win this championship, which ultimately, you know, when we get to the showdown, that's what we're judging him by. You know, if, if you're in the showdown, you're a championship challenger. Dixon's not really done enough this season. You know, the wins haven't been there um, to just give him that leg up when we get to the showdown he's still going to be 31 points behind in podium points as it stands and even if the best case scenario for Dixon happens at Silverstone which would be a triple win for him as unlikely as that may sound and Haslam getting no podium points at all Haslam would still go in with a 16 point lead and that's still a lot Um, with seven races that's still a pretty sizable lead um, with seven races to go Um, so Dixon needs to try and close that as much as he can at Silverstone what are the point though, on his riding at Cadwell Park, and um, because he was obviously critical of Leon Haslam's, it has to be said, Dre, there are a number of occasions over the course of that Cadwell weekend in the two races where Jake Dixon looked like an accident about to happen, and it often looked like that accident was going to take him into the back of another rider. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, boy. Um... <laughs> not quite sure which way to read into that, but, yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that one for what it's worth, and... Uh, it's 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 still a lot going on there with Dixon, but you know it's 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 great, it's great. Yeah,
0: there were there were a couple of very uh, aggressive, um, and I'm not even sure whether a couple of them were moves. There was one uh, going into turn one, uh, the fast left, where he, I think he lost the front or he he sort of tried to overtake someone else and then ended up literally on the outside of the white line that marks the edge of the circuit. Another yeah, another sort of. You know, a couple of inches, and you'd be on the grass, and you'd be on the deck, um, which no could question. have gone so badly wrong. And as we've seen, and we when we'll, we'll talk about it a bit when we get to Danny Bucken's weekend, there there are very few places that you can crash at Cadwell Park and not hit something, um, because there very isn't true. a lot. There, is, there isn't a lot of room around. There's only really Park corner, the place where Dixon went off himself on the final lap, where you could probably crash there, and you know, you're just going to land in the middle of a massive grass grass verge and not hit anything. Um, but the rest of the circuit around Cadwell, there are Barriers and, you know, bar- safe barriers, it has to be said, very close by. Um, and there was another one late on in uh, in the race where he lost the rear and very nearly careered straight into the back of Bradley Ray. Um, and, again, I don't know whether these were Jake Dixon's attempts at overtakes or whether he was literally just struggling to keep control of his bike and that nearly carried him into the back of another rider. But either way, there appeared to be a level of aggression with Dixon that um, looked at points if it was going to go beyond the line and get a little bit out of control and obviously we saw on the final lap he ended up going off the road Um, Mm -hmm. so in the end it just didn't happen for Jake he he ended up with two third places and he showed just how quick and aggressive he could be on the final lap of race two where he'd made that initial error um, trying to pass he made an initial error which dropped him all the way down to fifth and he then just went straight back from fifth to third again on the final lap Yeah, uh, with two overtakes Um, yeah he passed Bridewell at the end of the back straight and then he put a bit of a dive bomb on Glen Owen into the penultimate corner uh, into the barn corner and, uh, and took third place. So he did show just how competitive he was um, at Cadwell Park, but only came out of it yeah. in the end with two third places. Um, let's talk about two of the other riders who are near enough certain to be in the showdown. In fact, um, they only need a handful of points at the final round to guarantee they make it. Um, Glen Irwin, who's up to fourth now in the showdown, or he's up to fourth overall and um as the showdown would um correct the points he dropped back to fifth uh, but as it stands at the moment he's fourth he had a uh fourth uh, and a seventh um last weekend um sorry no, no, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the other points he had a fourth and a fifth and uh, last weekend did Gladwy um and whilst in terms of his overall season and the way he's he's ridden and the level he's currently at that's that's about where his level is this season gladwy that's two solid races but again, when we're measuring a rider by the showdown and the fact that Glenn Owen's going to be in there, those two results didn't really amount to much for Glenn Owen, did they? No podium points.
1: No podium points. You know, still, firm. I mean, he's overtaken Brooks as Brooks had a terrible weekend. But it just, it's just another weekend where Glenn Owen's just kind of been there, really, and. Uh... You know, that's the problem about Glenn. He's struggling to get on the podium. Like he's only had four of them through through you know through eighteen races this season. It's he's not going to win the title doing that. Unfortunately, he needs to start winning. And you know, he's again he's been consistent. He's been in the top six pretty much all season long. Um, But again, it's that ultimate extra half a tenth or the extra you know the extra tenth of a second that might turn him into a race winner that he just doesn't seem to have right now. And Yeah, it's a solid third right now. And again, he's not going to be too despondent about fourth and fifth of the weekend. But the problem is that doesn't help you in the format of this championship. The format of the championship rewards you for winning. And that's something that Glenn just can't do in this class at the moment. There's just one too many guys that are a little bit better on their day. And it's going to need a little bit of work to get up there by the looks of it.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's looking like, I mean, we're not talking about this season being over yet. Because as I mentioned, he's he's going to be in the showdown. So he's going to have a, a, a... punches chance at the very least going to the showdown. Um, but as I mentioned, the showdown corrected points would have Glenn Irwin fifth now. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to the 30s at the moment, I he'd be 41 points behind Leon Haslam uh, right now. Um, and obviously that may, that points margin may grow by the time the showdown starts, as it is. Um, even though Silverstone is a circuit where Glenn Owen went well um, a couple of years ago. Um, we shall see uh, with Glenn Irwin. But the, the man he's jumped ahead of in the points this weekend was Josh Brooks. Um, and... <laughs> he just went missing, it seems. It seems as if the Yamaha in general uh, was just uncompetitive around Cadwell Park. It's clearly not a circuit that that bike likes. Um, because, you know, I-, I know Ellison won on a McCams Yamaha last year, but um, none of the Yamahas were competitive, neither the anvil higher bikes or the McCams bikes were up the front at Cadwell Park. And I don't know with Brooks, uh, we were talking about him with good reason after his double win at Brands and his win at Thruxton, about this is the guy in the second half of the season that will really take the fight to Leon Haslam because he's going to amount those podium points because he's winning regularly enough that he's going to close him down. And Mm -hmm. for all of the podium points he's accumulated and for all of the ground he made up on Haslam, that one weekend, which might not just seem like a... You know, you could easily look at it and think, well, he's in the showdown anyway, Brooks, so what's, what's he lost at Cadwell Park? But it seems to me with that weekend... He's essentially handed Leon Haslam ten extra points with the minimum of fuss.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the killer. He's given he's given Leon Haslam another ten podium credits in hand so but all now is not. Made, made
0: up over the last two rounds. He's essentially handed them back.
1: Yeah, it's now got he's now got a one race cushion. Um, you know, that that amazing double win at Brands Hatch now counts for naught. Um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and yeah, like um, of course Brooks is going to be banking on the triple header at Brands at the end of the season, but that's not going to be enough. Cause think about it. Alton Parker is, is, is part of the showdown format. Haslam won the double there. Haslam has always gone really well at Assen in previous showdown races. He, he was, he was giving shaky a really big run for his money around there in years prior. So Haslam always goes well at Assen, um, as well. And you know what, he's, he's mitigating some of the damage of being at Brands. So, Brooks, for me, he needs to do more. Like, he needs to start taking points out of the Haslam now, let alone during the showdown format, because 31 points, the way I'm seeing it, is going to be too big a buffer. we got Silverstone coming up next weekend, um, and that's going to be a triple. And again, I don't see any reason why Haslam doesn't get at least one win out of the three there, in my opinion. And again, Alton Park, triple, like, double win last time around. And Aston is, again, as a Haslam track that he goes really well around. So... Brooks, I think, is in trouble here. I mean, those three wins he had look nice and all. The problem is is that he's not doing it anywhere near enough for it to be worth anything.
0: Mm, yeah, I'd take those three wins out of it for Brooks. He's only had one other podium um, this mm-hmm. year, which means he's, as he's, he stands, on 16 uh, podium points, which would have him fourth overall and 37 points behind Leon Haslam um, at the start of the showdown. And it, it just gives you an idea. And whilst. One of the great complaints about the showdown format is that it essentially, you know, renders it a seven-race championship. It does still reward consistency to a point in in that it gives you that advantage when it starts. And you just look at the the performances of the various riders this season, uh, and the six that would currently make the showdown. Started with Peter Hickman, two podiums this season. Josh Brooks has had um, over the course of the season. Um, Sorry, Bradley Ray, was next up in fifth. He's had five podiums, including two wins. Brooks has had four podiums, including three wins. Um, then third spot, Irwin, four podiums. And then there's a gulf, a clear gulf between the top two. Dixon, mm-hmm. 10 podiums, one win. Haslam has had 13 podiums with nine wins. And there <laughs> lies the difference. Um, between, And that is why one rider is going to start the showdown with such an advantage, and right. when you look at the overall points at the moment, Haslam is a gulf ahead of anyone else, but Dixon is a gulf ahead of everyone else bar Haslam um, in, in the, over the course of the entire season. And that, for me, is how it should look. I mean, without going to a, a long-running debate that we've had over several, several years about this showdown, the best two riders this season should be, you know, the best riders should be the best. And the way this season has gone, as I've mentioned earlier on, Haslam is so much better than anyone else. And Dixon is just clearly the number two guy in the series. And for me, that's how it should look. Uh, And and for me, that's how it probably will look by the time the season comes to an end. Um, I agree. He's just continuing to throw in these these bad race weekends that are going to cost him ultimately by the end of it. Um, The five riders we've discussed all look like they're going to make the showdown at least by the time we get to Alton Park. Haslam, Dixon, Irwin, Brooks and Ray now all look as if they're going to make the showdown. Only the top two at the moment are mathematically in. Um, with mm-hmm. 75 points still to race for at Silverstone. Um, and Glenn Irwin in third at the moment has a 68-point uh, lead over Buchan in seventh. So race one at Silverstone, he's probably going to mathematically confirm his spot. Um, but realistically, we're looking at three riders now, Dre, who are fighting over the one remaining spot. And it looks at the moment with three races to go as if Peter Hickman has timed his run to perfection. Mm-hmm
1: again <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's peter hickman there for you he, that's what he does he's very good at that um just has a knack of just getting solid results out of the bike and then sneaking up and having a couple of big weekends when it counts and uh stealing a march and getting into the showdown he did it last year with, with, with the pair of wins he had at cadwell park and you know this year it might be more the case of froxton where he had third and second there you know picked up 36 points that weekend and you know thrust him right back into contention and now seventh from fourth this weekend another solid weekend in the context of Hickman's season one of his better weekends all year at cadwell again um and he's now in the top six ahead of danny buck who had a miserable weekend a, a crash in race one his own doing he lost the front when he was running third in race one and then eighth place in race two just Bucken, we normally expect expect a little bit better than him from that and uh you know, he's now dropped into seventh outside looking in. It and in, it, and it's still his usual consistent self, but it needs bigger results and he's running out of time to do it. And um, he goes well at Silverstone, so I keep half an eye on that. But um, the way it's going, I think Hickman has, has done well to, to get in how he has. Like, it's going to be an absolutely critical weekend for Danny bucken uh, at Silverstone. It might, be the, might be the biggest of his BSB life so far that... Um, you know, to, to get to this point where you know, he's minus seven from a showdown spot and he's going up against a, a former showdown runner and BSB race winner in Peter Hickman. Um, that looks like it could be the main fight. Eden is going to need at least, I reckon, a podium to have any sort of contention um, for that showdown spot. Me and minus 15 is a long way back when you're not fighting for major points. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But uh, I think it's Hickman's to lose from here. Bucken needs a big Silverstone.
0: Yeah, Hickman has a seven-point lead now over Bucken, Um going into Silverstone with three races to go to secure that sixth spot. Um, and I think we're now at the point where we're probably looking at it, thinking, Dre, 150 points is probably the magic number now, isn't it? If you make it to 150, you're probably going to get in. Um, yeah, with, I'd with say three that. races to go. So, I mean, if obviously, if either... Hickman, Bucken, or sorry, sorry either Bucken or Ridden can pull a win out of their arse at Silverstone, then that, that might change it um, because that would suddenly um, fire them right up into you know, into that sort of 150 range and Hickman would have to respond to that. Um, and obviously we don't know what the weather's going to do. The weather obviously had a major role on who made the shot and who didn't uh, this time last year. Um, so we'll see on that. But yeah, I think if you get to 150, you're probably going to make it in, which is why I think we're talking about Bradley Ray already being safe on 159. Yeah, Uh, whatever happens at Silverstone. Um, And he's now in that position where he could probably just chase the podium points at Silverstone uh, and take a few more risks, um, knowing that he's probably going to make it in. Um, But yeah, we're looking at it now, looking at Hickman, Buck and Nidden as the three that are going to go for that final spot, which means that it looks like we're going to, as you pointed out before the show, Dre, have the first showdown in a long time without a Honda rider involved. Jason O'Halloran had one or two adventures um, at Cadwell last weekend, including uh, Brooks over, again, including another meeting with his best mate, Josh Brooks, who uh, went up the inside of him, approaching the mountain and forced uh, O'Halloran to go th- across the grass. Uh, I haven't heard any more uh, rumblings of discontent from either of them, so we'll, uh, we'll try and uh, try not to play down the ideas of some sort of Aussie feud going on. Um, but it does look now, mathematically with, well mathematically it's not over, O'Halloran on 94 points, he is 30, uh, 32 back of Hickman so mathematically it's doable uh, but unless he suddenly has some sort of miraculous weekend where he pulls out a couple of wins from nowhere it looks like Honda's goose is cooked
1: it looks that way very much so I mean again Linfoot is not showing any signs of coming back anytime soon and and a Halloran the damage was already done earlier in his season with, with the broken ankle he had on a bloody wild superbike card appearance of course sods law and all that right um but yeah i, I completely agree it's, it, it's 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 looking like too big an ask for jason and Halloran, and linfoot's been out of contention for some time unfortunately just had a, a wretched uh season of bad like cc has been a write-off for linfoot unfortunately due to injury and uh yeah, a real shame for Honda, who've been perennial mainstays in 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 the showdown now for some time. That team's shown such great progress with the Fireblade over the years, and uh, it's, it's a great bike and it's a great team. It's just, it's just not been their year at all, pretty much right from the start. So uh, yeah, dust yourselves off, get healthy, come back stronger next year. I'd yeah. say. There's
0: always the paperwork, I suppose. They could always try the, they could try, yeah. and win, could try and win the Riders Cup before the other season because they're probably going to have a chance at that. And, it's funny, and it's again, it's another of these sort of odd things about the showdown and the way it changes the season in that there's going to be a number of riders like uh, potentially Buchan, potentially Iden, potentially O'Halloran, Laverty, Taron McKenzie, who potentially going to have a trophy to compete for at the end of the season um, mm-hmm. by finishing 7th overall. And I sometimes think, and it, it, it's probably not the right way to be thinking about it, but I sometimes think about the likes of Hickman and Buchan who are trying to fight for sixth place. And then and I look at their podium points that they're on. Um, Peter Hickman has four podium points. Bucken has two. Aiden doesn't have any at the moment. Um, so, at the very least, if they started now, they'd go into the showdown and they'd already be 50-plus points behind the leader. Uh, Leon has no that chance. in a separate championship. So I was thinking, well, if you qualify for the showdown, what are you actually qualifying for? Um, in terms of what what does it achieve you other than a guaranteed top six championship finish? Um, because you're, you're not going to win the championship from there. You're just not. Um, so... Um, I, I guess they're they're fighting for the honor to be called a Showdown challenger, Showdown competitor, which in many ways is, you know, the riders will be the the kudos they'll get from that and the bragging rights they'll get from that is enough for them um, that they can look at their rivals and say, hey, I'm in the Showdown, you're not. Um, but they're they're not exactly going to be in a position anyway to challenge for the the title when they get there. But it is still something to keep an eye on when we get to something to see who will make that top Absolutely. six. Um, when we get there, we'll of course, we'll cover that. Uh, when Silverstone comes around, that will be the week after MotoGP goes there. Um, 7th and 8th of September um, for the uh, Silverstone round of the BSB Championship. Um, one rider who's definitely not going to make the show showdown, partly because he's changed teams mid-season, is Tommy Bridewell. Now, he had a very good weekend last weekend in terms of pure pace um, at Cadwell Park. He was doing very well in race two until James Whittam started talking about him and he hit the deck. Um, uh, unfortunately, the commentators care striking again yes. uh, for poor Tommy Bridewell, although he was fifth in race one. Um, in a race that he did stay on two wheels, um, and we were discussing him before we started. Uh, he's a funny rider in many respects, Bridewell, because he's first of all he's older than you think. He's thirty now. Um, it's Tommy Bridewell. Oh, yeah. And He always strikes me as a rider who I've always kind of rated and thought this is a guy who you know can't make showdowns. He made three showdowns in four years. Um, between 2012 and 2015, back when he spent a lot of time with the um, Milwaukee team before they moved over to the World uh-huh. Championship. Um, but he's kind of at a funny spot in his career now, isn't he, Dre, where, as I mentioned, he's 30, and he now he now appears to be past the point where he's attractive to the top teams in the series, which, in some ways, is a shame, because I still, still think he has the talent, given the right equipment, to win British Superbike races. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the the talent has never been the problem with Bridewell. It's always seemed like like the big teams don't trust him anymore. It's it's really weird where it's like like Bradwell has won races before. His his form is really good. He had a brilliant Suzuka eight hours um out there. He was outstanding. One of the real MVPs of that race in general. Bridewell. The team absolutely adored him for the shift he put in, um, to keep him in contention, um, for a for a podium finish. He did a. a he was truly brilliant in Suzuka. Um the guy's a very talented rider. He's taken to that Ducati very quickly and he's he's got excellent pace. He was running with the leaders all weekend long. Um that's what Bridewell is capable of, but for some reason it just it just doesn't come up on a consistent basis, and I think the top teams don't just don't trust him anymore. And if that's a thing, then he's had it in in that case. Like because this game is a lot about resources, especially now when you've got guys like Bournemouth Kawasaki at the top and they're getting factory back in and Jakati are throwing as much as they can towards the Paul Bird team. They're getting top-tier resources, you know, left and right. It's it's tricky. It is tricky. Um, it's, it's hard to stand out in this series, and Bradwell's probably been around the block now so many times that, you know, at his age at 30, there's just going to be more exciting guys to keep an eye on, like Dixon, like Bradley Ray, etc., who can also do what Bridewell can do on a basic level and isn't, you know, 30 plus years old isn't as as, as as harsh as that sounds. But that's just how that's just how the series is now. We've come a long way now. As mm. the series mm-hmm. in general, if someone like Tommy Bridewell can't stand out, it's just that's that's crazy to me. And that's kind of where we're at now.
0: Mm. Yeah, not, he's kind he's, of a scary he's now at the point where he's he's riding for the sort of underdog teams uh, in British Superbikes rather than yeah. a, rather than a heavy hitter. Um, and yeah, he's also at that point, not only where uh, team big teams no longer seem to see him as, as an attractive option, but also <clears throat> he's at a kind of crossroads where if he's got any aspirations, and I don't know whether he does, he might not, if he's got any aspirations of riding at World Championship level, it's probably too late for Bridewell now at 30, in that riders very rarely make the move across to, a world, to either the MotoGP paddock or the World Superbike paddock at such a late age. Uh, from a national championship. If you're going to go from national championship to world championship, you do it at a young age. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I think Bradwell's at a point now where I think if he, if you put him in a in a midfield world superbike team like a Milwaukee, uh, a pretty obviously Milwaukee know him, or an Altea BMW, I think given time, there's no reason why he couldn't provide, provide the same res- type of results that we've seen from many riders on their bikes. But I just don't mm-hmm. think, like we spoke about with Alex Marquez in Moto2, you've got to ride at a certain level in the championship you're in to earn the trust from the team that wants to sign you. And I don't think Bridewell's, unfortunately, ever going to reach that point now, um, which is a shame because he's clearly a lovely bloke. I don't think anyone's got a bad words to say about him. Um, as Absolutely. a guy, he always tries his heart out and he's always capable. He always produces that one or those one or two standout results a season, which make you think, wow, look what Tommy Bridewell's just done. Um, yeah. But they just don't come often enough, unfortunately. If he, if he was riding at that level at Cadwell Park, at every round, you'd surely think there'd be a team like a B Wiser or a GGP that would think, "Well, look at what this guy is doing for a skint team on a privateer Ducati. We need to sign this guy." Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't think uh, Bridewell is at that stage um, any longer, which is a shame because, as we've seen in the past, when he's been given that chance, he's been he's been under showdown level, um, and he's he's third finished third in this championship before. He once finished ahead of Josh Brooks in the championship as a teammate to him. Uh, when yeah. they were the Milwaukee teammates in 2014. So um, he, he has shown his quality in this series. He's shown what he's capable of. But, yeah, he's now at that stage in his career, perhaps, where the best years in his British shift bike career may well be behind him. We hope that's not the case because, uh, as I say, he's a rider we like on this show. It's so Bridwell. Um So we'll see how it develops. Here's how the championship looks then. With three races to go before the showdown, six are decided. Haslam leads it on 330 points. He is in the showdown, even if he takes Silverstone off. He's in. Jake Dixon, second on 230. Likewise, if he doesn't go to Silverstone at all, he's still in the showdown. Glenn Owen is third on 187. He only needs eight points from Silverstone to guarantee himself a spot. And even if he doesn't get those, he's probably going to make it in anyway. Um, Josh Brooks is on 174. He's certainly in. As is Brad Ray on 159. He is almost certainly going to make it, even if he doesn't have much of a points return from Silverstone. Sixth is Hickman on 126. He is seven ahead of Buchan on 119. They are sixth and seventh. Christian Eden is eighth on 111. To all intents and purposes, there are 15 points covering those three riders. The rider that finishes the highest of those three after Silverton is probably going to take that sixth championship spot and compete for the showdown from Alton Park onwards. Beyond that, Shaky Byrne is still up in ninth overall on 98 points, four ahead of O'Halloran in 10th on 94. Michael Laverty is another rider who's probably out of and contention now on 92. He is in 11th overall. Uh, then comes Taron McKenzie um, in 12th. He's only, uh 73 points. He finished 8th in race 1, but didn't make the finish in race 2 on a bad weekend for McCams. He's on 73. Just ahead of Richard Cooper on 70 and the aforementioned Tommy Bridewell on 69 points. And then two other riders, Dre, who we'll, we'll talk about very, very briefly uh, in a line. They've both had disastrous seasons. James Ellison and Luke Mossy. Two riders who, going into Silverstone this time last year, we were both talking about as genuine showdown challengers. Luke Mossy, without injuries, would have been in. And James, Ellison, and James Ellison, without crashes and unreliability, might well have been in. Respectively, they are now 14th and 15th in the championship. 67 and 61 points, respectively. Uh, just disastrous seasons for both. I mean, Mossy... It's a tricky one. We don't quite know how much the injury from last year is still affecting him, whether it's just dented his confidence. But from Ellison's point of view, we talked about both him and Brooks at the start of the season and their swap of teams. And we thought, well, we're now really going to see whether it was the teams that were the problem or the riders that were the problem. It still seems as though, although they swap teams, the same rider is in the showdown from last year and the same rider isn't.
1: Yeah, it looks like Josh Brooks genuinely got his head down and st- and the results started to come at McCams with him. And to be fair, Taron McKenzie's having a very good rookie season as well in his own right. So um, he's in the top 12. Taron McKenzie has more points than these two. Yeah. Like, So that says a lot about a rookie. Tara McKenzie as a rookie has got more points than James Ellison, who is a former showdown contender and one of the best riders in this series. Flat out. Um, and on top of that, you've got Luke Mossy, who, again, was one of the youngest dudes to ever make the showdown a couple of years ago and was a real surprise runner. He again won races, Mossy. I saw him win that double live at Brands Hatch Indy last year. And I thought, yeah, Mossy could be the future of this series. And nothing this year. Crashes, poor finishes, dented confidence. Best
0: finish of fifth. That was in race <sighs> one of the season.
1: Yeah, Um, only three top 10 since. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's, it's miserable. Um, I don't know what's happened with Lucy. Like Ellison to a degree, I can understand because I know the Anvil tag team doesn't have most amount of resources out there. And I think Brooks, I think Brooks was pushing beyond his resources last year. Ellison just looks like he doesn't belong in the at the top right now. I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe it is the team after all, because um, I think we I think we all know Ellison is a better rider than this, um, and the, he has a track record to prove it. Luke Mossy, I I've got nothing for you on that one. That is uh that is very bizarre, and I don't quite know what what to make of that one. Very yeah. sad.
0: Yeah, it is a shame. We, we hope he comes back stronger next year. Of course, we're, we don't know what the future of the J.D. Fit team is in terms of their rider lineup for next year, but we know that Haslam will not be there. Um, so, whether they are at a stage now where they trust Luke Mossy to take on the leadership role within that team, I don't see how you can at the moment. Um, there's too much of an unknown about him. Um, I mean, we know he can make showdowns and we know he can win races, but something's happened, something's changed with Mossy, whether it's, whether the injury, and it was a pretty bad injury that he sustained last year at Thruxton when he uh, crashed comments into the main straight, and obviously that essentially ruled him out of the showdown in the end. Um, he hasn't really been the same since, unfortunately. Now, he had that great wildcard World Superbike outing at Donington, which showed that the talent and the speed is still there. Um, of course. So maybe it is a confidence issue, who knows. With Ellison, uh, like you, just just an absolute disaster. he It seems like a lifetime away that he finished third in the first race of this season. And and, right. and, and, and from right memory, there. he was he was chasing them at a race to knots, wasn't he, at the end of that race as well, Ellison, um, at the end of that first race. And it's bizarre the way his season has developed. He's, that's to say, 67 points, 16 of which are in race one. He hasn't been in the top uh, seven of a race since then um mm-hmm. which, which is astonishing for a rider of his caliber um and it looks like well almost certainly now he is not going to make the showdown at all even if he wins all three at silverstone he's probably not going to make it in uh unfortunately uh for James Ellison that is the next round though of the championship uh first weekend of september the 7th and the 8th of september uh at silverstone uh, 7th 8th and 9th should I say at silverstone Um, for the final round of the regular British Superbike season before we cut off the Showdown 6. Right then, uh, the news will come up very, very shortly. There ain't much of it. It won't take a while, honestly, because uh, we're recording this show four days after our last one uh, because of the, uh, the quirks of our schedules for this week. Um, so Oops. there won't be much news to bring here, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, but first of all, a segment that we didn't have time for last week. Um, and if you listen to our two-hour, 13-minute epic, uh, you'll understand why. Um, mm. But the World Superbike Championship has released a survey uh, that it hopes to... I don't know, shape the future direction of the sport. I'd never truly know, Dre, how much teams, how much championships focus on these, because famously Formula One has had these kind of surveys in the past, haven't they? And Yes. They are rather long-winded, and you do wonder just how much the results are actually taken notice of.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, right? F1, I think it's the it's the GPDA, the Grand Prix Drivers Association for the last... They do, like, a bi-yearly survey where... They'll survey the drivers and they'll say, like, who's your favorite driver and, you know, what changes would you like to see made? Like, for example, would you like to, to go back to elimination qualifying? No. no. Um, no. And, um, you know, would you like like the race weekend should be about the cars? It should be more about an overall weekend spectacle. My favorite brand of car was the V10s because V10s, hmm. um, it goes on and on. You get the gist. Like, they, they do this every couple of years. They always publish the survey results um, on the internet because it's in collaboration with most sport.com who are also in collaboration with this one from World Sleeper Blacks as well and every time we've done them we've all done the same thing. We fans don't know what the hell we want. Mm. Um, shocker. More, more news at 11. But yeah. um, that's always yeah. seen. That's always seemingly been the trend that I've Picked up on since um, since I've because I've done, I've done two of these now in the last four years they they've been doing the you know, the GPDA survey and they just tend to be kind of convoluted kind of like gotcha answers and tend to be actually quite contradictory in terms of what they're trying to do so yeah I wouldn't read too much into these if um if and that's just a small spoiler as we now go through the entire survey Oops. yeah
0: we're, we're gonna, um, yeah well we're gonna go we're, we're gonna skip through some of it like obviously there are there are obvious questions at the start such as your your age and your gender um etc which country you're from etc and i can understand some of these because they're trying to um just get a handle on the demographics and who watches their series um, we're old <laughs> yeah world sbksurvey.motorsport.com by the way if you want to do the survey it's available to fill in until midnight friday night um this weekend the 20 whatever it is, 25th of august um, twenty fourth of August. I should say it's the death of my birthday. So it's just another bloody date. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah. So you've still got time by the time you listen to this to probably go and fill it in. Um, because Zach Brown and our motorsport media overlords are in control of this survey. Um, but there are there are some <laughs> questions which. Again, I understand some them to a point. Um, where they want to know which kind of people are following their product, but um, the first page which has some genuinely meaty questions, or questions which require a bit of thought into them. Um, They they run like this. On a scale of 1 to 7, where 1 is not interested and 7 is extremely interested, indicate your interest in the following. And I'll quickly run through the subjects they list. Arts and culture. Fashion. Music. Attending professional sports events. Home improvement and gardening. Participating in sport. Celebrity news. Film and cinema. Travel. Tattoos. Technology, Tattooed. Adventure, Theatre, Slash Opera, Slash Ballet, Slash Musical, Slash Live Concert, Slash... And then this next one, Following Sports on TV. That is an eclectic mix if ever I've seen one. Um, Tattoos, anyone? Yeah. Um... And, and again, I understand how you, you want to know what kind of people follow your products, but at the same time, aren't they just running the risk of the genuine motorsport fans that are probably feeling this survey are just going to see that page and think, I can't be arsed with this. Yeah,
1: they're gonna feel alienated. like, who are they trying to like? Are they trying to appeal to like different demographics? Is that it? Um, I, I, I don't seemingly understand like what they're trying to do with that and like you know, ad- ad- adventure stuff. Like, 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 are we all Indiana Jones fans now? Is hmm. that it? Like, um, I've, I, I, I find that to be. Bizarre! I, I I don't understand like what angle they're going from that. I I just think it's a mess. I really do. I'm I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. Um, like I just don't get what they're trying to do with that. At no. All.
0: Yeah, it does. The next page won't make you very happy either. Uh, page five. Which, if any, of the following music do you listen to? Um, and they list a, a, a again an eclectic mix of genres: rock, pop, classic country, jazz, electronic, dance house, hip-hop and rap, indie, folk and Americana, soul, reggae, metal, blues, Latin, punk, funk or other. Um, so, um, no for the per- step option? Uh, <laughs> can, well, well, yeah, you can write that in other if you wish. Um, oh, that's uh, it. Or you could take none of the above, which is what I'm going to do for the purposes of getting through this survey quickly. Um, yes. Uh, number six, on a scale of one to seven, and it's the same scale as before, from not interested to interested, interest in the following sports. And uh, they indicate motorsport, Football slash soccer, tennis, golf, athletics, track and field, uh, rugby union, swimming, boxing, cycling, American football, baseball, basketball, extreme sports. And at least one thing that'll make you happy, Dre, they've included esports in the list. Yay! So they've included yeah, that we, as an actual sport. Um, we out there. Yeah. Yeah, we've made it, guys. We've made it. Um, we made it. So, um, so that is your next um, s- series of, uh, of hurdles you've got to jump over. Now we're starting to get into stuff more relevant where they now ask, on a scale of 1 to 7, which of these motorsport series are you interested in? And they list nice. Mo- World Superbike Championship as the number one. Um, then MotoGP, FIMEWC, the Endurance Championship, Motocross, Enduro slash Trial Bikes, Speedway, Formula 1, Formula E, IndyCar, NASCAR, Touring Cars, FIA World Endurance, uh, Rallying, Rallycross, Historic Racing, Drifting, and other bike categories. Um, which you can uh, show an interest in um, over there. Um, so far, pretty benign stuff. Not stuff that really gives you the chance to tell the World Superbike Championship how you think their sport should be run. Uh, by the way, if the championship is wondering how I'm answering these, just to get through the survey, I'm literally giving the middle-of-the-road answers. Don't worry, I'm not submitting this because I've already done the survey on my phone. Um so, um so I did actually give genuine answers to these. Next one. Which, if any, of these logos do you recognize? Um, now... For the purposes of those that can't see this, um, I'll tell you what the logos are, because thankfully I can recognise them all. Um, the World Superbike Championship, F1, MotoGP, FIA World Endurance, IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula E, World Rally Championship, FIA World Rally Cross, World Touring Car Championship, which is ironic given that's not an obsolete series that doesn't exist anymore, um, and the FIM EWC Endurance World Championship. Um, now, first of all, Dre... Um, it's an early test for the uh, new Formula 1 logo. to see if people recognise that. Um, mm. But secondly, um, you got to think that if anyone who's filling this survey does not recognise the World SBK logo, we're uh, onto a hiding immediately. <laughs> <laughs> why, If you can't recognise the logo, why the fuck are you doing this survey?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's all I want to know. Yeah. You clearly don't know what you're talking about if you don't recognise the SBK logo. Like, 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 that's That seems like an own goal, but it, or, or it also feels like I'm getting tested on my motorsport knowledge here. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Although I've got them all, so go me. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think this next question initially gives us... And sometimes I guess you can read too much into these, but I think this, this is the first question that for me gives us an indication into the series having a real think about what it does in the future. And I'll read it mm-hmm. to you. Thinking about the Superbike World Championship, which, if any, of the following names do you use or recognise as the championship name? Please indicate all that apply. They are SBK, WSBK, World SBK, World Superbike, Superbikes, Superbike World Championship, or none of the above. Which indicates to me, at least, that one of the questions that out and the World Superbike Championship is asking itself is, are we branding our series as well as we could do?
1: Yeah, that's that that says to me that the series doesn't know what it wants to be called. Um hence why that survey question is there because I've seen it referred to as all of those yeah. on on social media at some point. So, yeah, that's a fair question to ask. Is like, you know, if you want to streamline your brand a little bit, you don't want 14 different acronyms. Um so, yeah, that that absolutely makes sense from where I'm sitting, absolutely. If you want to if you if you're going to publicize a series like that, you know, Absolutely plug it, you know. But you know, bring it in a little bit,
0: streamline it out. I would say. Mm. Uh, we'll skip through the next two questions to a point because again, it, it mainly just gives the the survey uh an indication of your interest in the series. The questions are: How long have you been following the World Superbike Championship? And even the question's not sure about what it's meant to be called. It says: How long have you been following the FIM Superbike World Championship? In brackets, WSBK. Just in oh case you gosh, weren't, I- just in case you weren't sure what we meant. Um, by the Superbike World Championship, um, so we'll give the answer that I actually mean in the actual answer, which is more than six years. The next question is, how did you first become interested in the World Superbike Championship? Series of options including my parents introduced me. I'm a fan of motorbikes, so started following the series, etc. I'm a fan of one of the riders. is another of those options. Um, so we'll skip on that um, because again, it just gives the 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 survey uh, when you get the results just how long they've been following the series. Next one, thinking about how you follow WorldSBK, how frequently do you view, access, or listen to the following media for race news and information? TV, dedicated motorsport websites, general news and sports websites, official WorldSBK social media accounts, official website, official app, and then it says social media through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, other, newspapers, sports sections, mobile, cell phone alerts, information updates, and radio. Um, and the first thing to say on that, Dre, which again hits on one of the big problems at the moment with World Superbike Championship and and the problem of the series is, when you list all of those different media channels, and speaking from our point of view in the UK, we can't really say that all of those channels particularly cover World Superbikes.
1: No. And yeah, Worlds has kind of had that problem a lot in recent years where it's like, the British mainstream media don't follow it. And it's kind of all over the place. It might occasionally get into the paper, but then all of a sudden Jonathan Ray's on sports personality of the year. It's a, it's, it's a weird one all of a sudden. And so, yeah, I'm guessing it's another way of them trying to, you know, trying to find out what's best to market the series, especially on British shores, because they have a lot of hometown interest in that. But, uh, again, your guess is kind of as good as mine
0: on that one. Mm. And and yeah, and, and I look at some of these, and I think, first of all, official World SPK social media accounts. Uh, now I know one of the two of the people who are involved with World Superbikes and their social media. We were a friend of a friend of the show, Tom Brooks, is their commentator for the World Feed, um, and I, I don't want to criticise them because they do a terrific job. But just as an observation, Dre, uh, because the social media qu- uh, quality and quantity of output from MotoGP is terrific. Absolutely. The in terms of the level of output and the quantity of output, the social media output of the official MotoGP and World Superbike accounts are pretty much night and day.
1: Yeah, without question. Like one. They're both run by the same company. Yeah, both run by the same company. Um, Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great big bowl of one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, and that's Um, interesting. yeah, it, it says that you don't care about Worlds compared to MotoGP. Yeah, it says
0: you see one as inferior to the other.
1: And that's... that. I don't see what you gain in doing... Like, there's no reason why you can't even pretend to make Worlds look like a series that could be on the same level. They're not even trying at this point. It's like, okay... Yeah, we're excited because Álvaro Bautista might be in World Superbikes next year. Ooh, and everyone goes ah, and it's just it, it, ugh, I, I I cringe because it, cause Worlds has got okay. We all know Worlds the the same amount of quality as. You know, as as MotoGP does, and of course, in the eyes of Thorner, it's not going to be on. It's not going to be the the money maker that MotoGP is for obvious reasons. But there's no reason why you can't pretend it is on social media. Like you have nothing. You have nothing to. (coughs) You have nothing to lose in making it seem like a bigger deal. Um,
0: like like like, I know this is a bit of a wild comparison, but stay with me. Take WWE. Um, Most people would understand and obviously one show is three hours one is two hours most people would consider monday night raw to be the superior in terms of um, you know kudos and history to SmackDown, but you never hear the wwe treat the two differently on their social media they always treat them both as as, as entities within themselves and big deals you know uh-huh. they, 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 they they don't send the sort of message that they don't care about one over the other now you could argue those that follow wrestling closely listen to this i know many do may argue that they do actually feel that way about their two shows. But they don't give that outward public impression that they do. Um and I think once once you start treating one differently to the other, you know, obviously publicly, it sends a message that, you know, why should I care about this when we have this? Um and, and unfortunately that's the that's the dangerous sort of line they're treading. And I think they're always in danger of walking this line. Once they took over over ownership of both series. There was always a danger of this happening. Um but I think they're perhaps their slightly their they're focus of the two series is slightly skewed in favour of MotoGP, which they are doing a tremendous job with. It has to be said. Um, mm-hmm. But World Superbikes is almost in danger of becoming the sort of the forgotten sister, if you like, the forgotten stepchild. Um, yeah. In that respect, next two questions, by the way, are pretty straightforward. Over a race weekend, how would you typically follow a World Superbike live race? Um, you've got the option of watching on TV and stating which channel the official video pass, the official app, the uh, the radio, online commentary, or other. Uh, and the, the next question is, with 13 rounds and 26 races, how many World Superbike races are you likely to watch on TV in an average season? And you've got the options of one, two to five, six or more, ten or more, all 26, or none at all. Um, and again, if you've made it this far in the survey, you're probably not going to tick the final option. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: I've got it this
0: far. I don't watch any races, but here I am... Uh, now the next page I think is very interesting and this will be another page that they will be taking very keen interest in first question on a race weekend which if any is of the following is your favourite to watch now this is interesting because I don't think our answers to this would necessarily be either the same or might not even be World Superbike but the options are World SBK Superpole World SBK Race 1 on Saturday World SBK Race 2 on Sunday World SSP Race World SSP three hundred race. No love for Superstock one thousand. How no. dare they? But, but equally this season possibly World Super Sport to that? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, well. I'd and say it, so.
0: And imagine if you're I mean I d I don't know what kind of a that would send to to, to World Superbikes if you if we gave that answer. Um, your support but, races are better than your main event. Support races are than your better than your main, main event. event, but equally well, maybe you should big up your Supersport class a bit more and you know, give it a bit more press as well. I don't know. Your series had Keenan Safogaloo for the best part of two decades. Yeah. Come on, people. And I, I, I suppose, here's the way I'm thinking about this. Motorsport.com and World Superbikes, they're praying that a lot of people tick World SBK Race 2 on Sunday to this. Because that of is course. the race they are focused so much on enhancing the show in.
1: They want race two to be the Pandora's box, basically. Uh, they want that to be the experimental format to try and make it more entertaining. Which mm. is why I deliberately kicked race one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a big point. Just, just, to screw, just to screw with them. Yeah, um, next question. Uh, you stated that you visit the official World Superbike website. Um, so obviously, if you stated that you don't visit it at all, you probably won't get this question. How much do you agree mm. and disagree? Again, one means strongly disagree, seven strongly agree. The content on worldspk.com engages me to purchase a Video Pass subscription. The WorldSPK website offers enough languages. I would like to see more behind-the-scenes content on the website. I would like more content about technical aspects, engine brakes, others. I would like more content about riders' lifestyles and worlds surrounding WorldSPK. In brackets, tattoos, rock music, Whoa. adventure, traveling. More ink. More. Ink. Um, now, now I don't see many motorsport fans and i i, I, I don't think world Superbikes should be afraid of admitting it is still a niche and motor, motorcycle sure. racing to many points is a niche um yeah. so so I, I i just struggle to think jake with this deep into the survey and i struggle to think that any motorcycle racing fan is particularly bothered about how many riders how many tattoos a rider's got no
1: like <sighs> I don't want to sound like I'm being crude here, and bear and, for, and forgive me, especially female listeners. Is this a woman thing? Is, is is this trying to like? Are they trying to make their riders seem more attractive? Is is that it? Like I, I don't get it because I don't think I don't think there's a market for that. Like who out here is watching Superbikes going? Ooh, I wonder what
0: I wonder what tattoos that guy's got under their leathers. I just and, and hey, I, don't, I don't... Me wrong. A lot of I'd say a lot of fans of say Lewis Hamilton take great interest in what tattoos he's got. Um, and but, he, but he is a global superstar. Um, yes, and naturally, and, 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 and naturally and is going to attract that level of interest. Not just in terms of his his sport that he competes in, but him as a personality and what he does with his body. Um, but I think if you're watching World Superbikes, you're a you're a level of motorsport aficionado that just has zero interest in that kind of thing. I know I don't, but.
1: Um... Is, is 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 again? Is this them trying to breach into public audiences? Is this them trying to be you know trying to appeal to more demographics? Is is, is that is that
0: the plan here? Um, yeah, but I could... think I think we're already hitting upon a a large issue with this survey, a running theme in that this survey is clearly trying to you know explore ideas in which World Superbikes can grow as a series, um, right? And we've discussed ad nauseum in the past what World Superbikes could do to improve. And I think if they think that by improving their series, more features about riders' tattoos and which music interests they have are going to do it, they are way missing the point.
1: Yeah. It, 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 like, this is not a cultural thing. Like, yeah. like, like trying to be a more cultural sport is not going to get fans to tune into the bike race. Oh, look, and this week a tattoo feature on on, on Davide Giuliano. Like, listen, no one's tuning in for that. They want to see bike racing, man. Like you're not going to get the channel flipper to stick around by by doing cultural awareness adventure pieces like 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 it's an episode of like a place in the sun. That's not going to work. Focus mm. on the bikes. Like, like like I said, like focus on the tech. Focus on what makes the series tick. We like we're not here for cultural deep dives. I, I, this is what that's my opinion at least. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they're trying so hard to, to focus on demographics that aren't interested. Focus on the ones that do give a shit about you first. Mm.
0: Uh, next question is, is interesting and kind of entertaining and all in the same. Uh, it's about the World SBK Video Pass, and it asks you how much you would uh, be prepared to pay for the video pass per race or per season. Now, the options are per race, 0, up to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, or over 15 pounds. And per season, they go from naught to up to 50, up to 75, up to 100, up to 150. Now, surely people are going to go for the cheapest option there, aren't they? surely like, like,
1: like why wouldn't you go zero on yeah. on this one like like i don't understand that question it's like like why would a fan ask for an event to be more expensive
0: yeah yeah i would, <laughs> I would like to pay up to 150 i would rather pay over 15 pound around and i'd pay up to 150 pound for the season when there are cheaper options available uh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like
1: like your own main rival products video pass
0: yeah uh, next question is uh, what if any features would you want or expect from the video pass? Um, which is exclusive interviews, exclusive rider, and it says driver, which is instantly a problem with this survey. It's riders, not drivers. Um, Exclusive driver and team interaction, as it says, outside of competition. More language options, uh, more on-board coverage, more interactive options throughout the race, more track information, more out-of-competition news, more technology updates, more spectacular actions like overtakes or crashes. I could give you one catch-all option for that. Everything the MotoGP video pass has, basically. Um, Right. So um so yeah again. And why wouldn't you? When why wouldn't you already be offering that? Yeah, if you know if you're making people pay for this, surely you'd want to give them something that isn't already available. We get the practice sessions for free on Eurosport now, right? So so we already so get that. What are we talking about here? Um, so the Video Pass has surely got to offer us something that we don't already get on Eurosport. Um, for that to happen. Um, so so yeah, there are there are serious um. Again, serious points being missed here um, in this survey. Um, let's skip over to the next option, see if we get anything more relevant on the next page of this survey. It asks you, uh, when did you last attend any motorsport event or race? Um, so again, it gives us an idea of how um, how often people attend it. It asks you which type of event that was. Um, so I'll give you my answers for that, which is MotoGP. How many World motorsport events have you personally attended? Um, and then it asks you to give a pick a figure in terms of general admission ticket to a World Superbike race day and what price do you think would start to become too expensive, too expensive to even consider, reasonably priced, and good value. Um, which, again, um, I think it was, I think this is slightly more of a sensible option in terms of asking fans to pick a figure um, that, rather than just giving them the option. Awesome. Yeah, rather than giving them the option to just pick the smartest option. Next page. Which races do you consider most essential for the World SBK calendar? Um, and to save you the, um, problem of listing them all, Dre, it basically gives you all of the current rounds on the calendar, plus the lousers ring. And it's interesting, because if we're World Superbike fans, it's basically asking us which three rounds we think are the, sort of, traditional Crown Jewel World Superbike rounds.
1: Right. That was an interesting question. I just clicked similar and moved on. Um, no, I'm joking. No, that was I definitely picked, one I, of my three. No, I picked Imola, Philip Island and
0: Donington. Hmm. I see. I I think, and now I, I I did this survey a week ago, so I'm already forgetting. I'm pretty sure I went for Imola, Philip Island and Assen as my three. Um, that works. But I but I can't argue with Donington at all either. Um, the, but the, the amount options... of British wild cards
1: and they, I think it's Thorner. No, but the British round is big, mm. and you know, so that's why I went with that one. But yeah. yeah is absolutely a, a valid pick.
0: Yeah, it's totally understandable. It also asks you on a scale of one to seven, um, int- give you the your interest from one being not interested to seven being very. To the following activities at a race weekend, um, and it gives you autograph sessions, meet the riders, part-firm and podium in the paddock, which is a new innovation for this year. Stunt shows, DJs, live music, activities for children, e.g., bouncy castles, ball pits, etc., bike simulators, what? e-sport areas. Dre will be ticking seven for that. Uh, Paddock yes. show chats, live commentary at the Paddock show, pit walk, merchandising, bike expo, new models in brackets, ride your bike on track, parade lap. Um, mm. which, which are interesting. They are they are looking there in terms of how can we improve the general spectator experience at the track.
1: Yeah. How do you make a better race weekend? That, that's understandable. That's a, that's a valid one. And there's some genuinely interesting ideas in there.
0: Although, man, although many people already say to me that the the fan experience at the track is already very very good, but they're just right. not they're just not getting the people through the gate to begin with, um, which what? which is its sort of problem. Next one is one of the more interesting ones uh, of the entire survey. Which of the following formats would be your preferred timetable for a world speed weekend? Keep it as it currently is. Yeah, keep it as it currently is. Keep it as it currently is, but creating a clear difference between the Saturday and Sunday race formats by changing duration, length, team strategy, and point system, or ensure a format where riders and teams face the challenge of two races on the same day or other. So in other
1: words, go back to Sundays.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) The challenge of two races on the same day. In other words, what you had for the backbone of your series until three years ago.
0: Yeah, basically. Next question follows on a similar theme. Um... Which of the following championship features um what is your opinion on it from negative to positive 1 to 7 three races per weekend two full length and one sprint reverse grid positions for top 3 rows for race 2 which is the current format both race 1 and race 2 grids on super pole which is the previous format extra championship points for super pole extra championship points for fastest lap compulsory tire changes during the races introduce an e-bike category Introduce single brand category with equal technical rules.
1: Deep dives here, folks.
0: Deep dives. Um, it, it's God. again, and this, this we could basically sum up the entire survey by saying this. But this is basically, World Superbikes are trying to fix a problem by changing the format rather than actually again. looking at the root of the problems. Because this is this is what we're basically spending these five minutes looking at these questions, thinking about is. The way to improve World Superbikes apparently is, it's the format for the weekend that's wrong. Oh, look, they're all
1: F1 fans. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Like, hey, guys, guys, like, the sport has fundamental and crippling business problems where half the teams can't compete. I know what will fix it. Elimination qualifying. Yeah, or a a
0: sprint race on the Saturday.
1: Sprint race. You know, that's it, fellas. We, We cracked it. I'm going to lunch. Um... No, like, like it's it's not the format that's the problem here. People, has has anyone found this twenty eighteen season more compelling for the fact we have a reverse grid race too? Anyone? Anyone at all? <laughs> no. No, yeah, I didn't think so either. No, like, listen, like, 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 it's not the format that's the problem. It's is getting eyeballs on your product. The product is good. The product is genuine. Uh, you yeah, know what? Well, I think it's better than I think a lot of their bigger critics are making out that it is. Like, multiple bikes have plenty of good races even before the reverse grid rule came into play. And even before, we, you know, we, we, we changed the format and people like Keith and started talking, like, oh, you know, we can't have this. Like, Laguna Seca was boring. And it's like, well, yeah, that's probably more the track down than the, than the sport itself. yeah But yeah. I don't believe the format's the problem here. Like, I, I, I've never believed in that. I've believed in, you know, giving smaller teams a bigger chance to compete on and, and and I like if that was a case and if that actually worked you wouldn't need to reverse the grid for a race too because races would be competitive without gimmicks and that's this is what I can't stand. I can't like yeah. like it's like the gimmicks are like the band-aid on a gaping head wound. It's not going to fix the problem. It's it's only going to basically exaggerate the issues you already have. It's 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 a deflection tactic and that's what I don't like about it.
0: Mm. Uh, next page, by the way, of the survey is on which riders you follow, which teams you follow, uh, and which classes of world superbikes you follow. Um, Jesse, so, we'll, we'll, so, we'll, yeah, so we'll skip ahead to that. Um, although um, you, you'll be uh, pleased to know if you're a fan of other manufacturers, There's some manufacturers who aren't even currently in world superbikes are featured, like Triumph and KTM uh, and Bi-Motor. Um So uh, oh. yeah, you know, shout out for like the one or two people that took ByMotor in the uh, in the list. Um, The Spectacle of World SBK is up next, Um, and it basically asks you to rank from important to not important, one to five, or six if you have no opinion, Um, which you feel are important to the appeal of World SBK. Um, Now, there are some that I think shouldn't even be there, and I hope people tick one, like Has Spectacular Crashes um, is Uh... an option. Um, But I think the the most interesting of the lot of them, Dre, is the top one, and it is Features the Best Riders. How important oh. do we think that is to the appeal of World SBK? Um, like, is there a zero option here? Well, no um, opinion, number six.
1: Well, like, is is is, is, is there a seven available? Like, <laughs> of course, it's goddamn important, you plebs. Um, <laughs> for God's sake, like, if that needs to be said, then like, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't understand. I I just
0: like. But it is a tricky one in one respect because it's like, if you feel it's very important that it features the best riders, well, how can the World Superbike Championship feature the best riders? And because you know, if you if you if it is, it is instantly a direct competition with MotoGP. Surely MotoGP features the best riders. You'd
1: think, right? I think that's what they want you to think. Yeah. You know. So,
0: again, you're
1: kind of boned on this one. Again, it's kind of contradictory here. Yeah, if you the right want the answer? best. Like if you if you want the best riders, sure, it's important. But then aren't they all in MotoGP? And you probably already know we're MotoGP fans as it is. Um, so what are we trying to do here? Um, that's what it feels like to me right now. It just feels like, you know, yeah, of course it's important, and of course you're going to put that question in there because and you, you're probably going to expect a lot of people to agree that it is very important, but. That's just not possible with the landscape of bike racing right now, and it's going to take something drastic for that to change. Yeah. Like, Worlds got gutted in mid two thousands, and they've never really recovered from that, and that's not going to change anytime soon. No. So, no. you know,
0: it's it's kind of contradictory in that sense, which is a shame. It you is. Know? Next, uh, next page asks you to play a game word association. and Pick five words that you strongly associate with WorldSBK. Uh, I won't list you them all because at least about 25, 30 of them. Some of the funny uh-huh. ones, though. Boring. You can actually say boring um, if you what? strongly associate it with LSBK, so God help them if anyone take that. Corrupt is one of them. Um, uncompetitive. Um, there are some positive ones, I promise you, like world-class, um, mm-hmm. innovative, friendly, fun, accessible, um, exciting. Um, you can also tick threatened, which I think is a fascinating in- in- inclusion. Well, it's like a man. Threatened. Um, threatened by MotoGP, I wonder. Is that what they mean by that? Um, but anyway, that's one of your options. Next page uh, asks you to ask if you've bought any World to Superbike merch recently uh, in the last 12 months. Um, and do you actively play motorsport-themed games? Which, uh, which Dre absolutely does. We've recently just given one away um, on hey. this show. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, that's your next page. Uh, the next one asks about sponsorship and basically asks you how important sponsorship is and whether it, you know, if a, if a sponsor sponsors a, multi, a World Superbike team, does it increase your chances of buying it, etc.? Um, so again, that's more for the uh, the sponsors to take notice of that page. Um, on to the next one, and it's about demographics of ownership, and it asks you for your occupation. Um, for the purposes of this, I'm going to say I'm retired, um, just so that we can skip through it. Uh, and that, in terms of my uh, household income, I would prefer not to say. Uh, I'm certainly not going to tell the listeners. Um so that is uh, that is the next page. We're getting into the He's rolling in, in it, people. He's How many cars in it. do you currently have in your household? Um, that is the next option. We're the gold
1: boat. Yeah, we're getting
0: towards the end of this now. How many motorcycles do you currently own? Uh, and then finally, if you <laughs> this is the best one. This is probably the one that would take the longest. Finally, if you feel there are areas we have missed or you have additional feedback, take the opportunity to enter your comments in the box below. The box ain't big enough.
1: this is like an insurance payout this is going to require more than the little um (laughs) yeah like balance of performance maybe anything you know it's kind of a big one fellas um you had one potential answer in one question uh, possibly address balance of performance and it wasn't included Mm. anywhere else that's a problem
0: yeah and that's the end of the survey like that's the, the most important bit is that box at the end, from what I see, because that's where, you know, the, 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 again, uh, just to round up, the genuine, serious questions that this sport and this series should be asking about how it can improve weren't even asked in that. <sighs> they missed the
1: point. At least for me, they missed a big one. Like, and you know what the problem is? It's going to be hard. Ray in his prime in World Superbikes right now who's clearly a cut above everybody else right now but you you, you, you made an effort in your rules this year to include balance of performance this would be the perfect time to ask the fans are you happy with the current balance of performance state of play right now should we go further with this are you happy with the rev limit adjustments you know like are you happy with the balance of performance model we're going with right now and that would be a prime time t- a prime time for your fans to go yes or no we're you know, we're behind this or we're not behind this they missed the boat on that one that was a big one because you've you've had another drastic rule change where you've slapped massive rev limits on Zaki to try and bring them in it has not worked really um, and they're only going to have bigger changes the way it's going because Jonathan's going to cakewalk another title by the end of the year by the looks of it. Um, so that would have been the perfect time for them to address that concern, to say, okay, fans, are you okay with this? And nothing.
0: No. <sighs> but enjoy your free video pass for Portimao because that's what you thats what you get if you manage to it- make it through all of that. Um, you get the video pass for Portimao, the next World Superbike round, which is in about three years' time. Uh, for free um, and um, and it also says at the end uh, now i've not input my email for this because i've already submitted it and i did not entirely answer all those questions seriously because um, it would have taken us longer than the actual show to do it uh but it says a show of your appreciation we'd like to give you the chance to win one of three exclusive world PK experience packages for two to a world PK race in 2019 including panic access for the weekend a lap in the safety car and grid access over the race weekend uh and they'll be contacting the winners of that Um, at the final round of the season in Qatar in October Um, and that brings us to the end of the survey Um, and it also gives me a great idea for the name of the show um, which I'll tell Dre about after we finish Um, but yeah um, let's let's bring you some quick news before we bring your show to a close Um, then the first piece of it is World Superbikes and it comes from a friend of the show Greg Haynes and semi-regular panelist Greg Haynes um, who tweeted earlier this week that essentially the Aruba Ducati World Superbike ride alongside Chas Davies next season is Alvaro Bautista's if he wants it Uh, according to uh, a number of sources uh, in in the Ducati team. Um, And this is, again, it kind of comes back to the question that it was asked in the survey about how important it is that World Superbikes has the best riders. Because Bautista's an interesting one in that many people find it difficult to gauge just how good World Superbike riders are um, based on who they're competing against. Now, what kind of gauge would Alvaro Bautista provide if he moves across to World Superbikes on a top two bike in the field alongside Chas Davies, that would give us an interesting barometer, wouldn't it? If Chas Davies suddenly starts beating Bautista comfortably, that gives us a good read on just how good he and Jonathan Ray and the rest are.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Bautista is, for me, a top 12 rider on the planet in MotoGP. He's he's been a mainstay of the the MotoGP paddock for over a decade now. He knows what he's doing. Um, He's had over under career grand prix and he's walking into one of the best Watson bike teams in the field um, if you want to see a barometer of how good each respective series is this is a pretty good yardstick if you ask me um, also bye Marco
0: Melandri, I hope, I, hope like, I hope you like enjoy Becoming your time brilliant. at GRT Yabaha next year uh, yeah, which is it does. where he looks set yeah. to be going. Um, we'll give you more news on Bautista when it becomes official, but that looks like it's—you uh, know—he's certainly being offered the ride at Ruben Ducati next season. And a boy, Greg. Uh, boy. And a boy. And we'll see if that develops. Uh, Mono two news. This surrounds next season uh, and leads us nicely into this weekend because we're talking about a British rider the head of the British Grand Prix. Sam Lowes. Um, and um, shout out to uh, Grassini by the way for their press release this morning, which said uh, Grassini Racing goes back to the future for 2019 very nice um, which was a great which is a great title for it uh, as soon as i read that i kind of had an impression what it was going to say um and um and yeah especially because it was a moto two team uh, press release not a Moto gp one um sam lowes is back with Grassini, and we kind of discussed this briefly last week when we talked about scott redding and aprilia uh in that the problems of that, that team certainly aren't Grassini's making and Grassini were always clearly big fans of sam lowes so I think yes. the team of a rider. This is just a move that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I think this is a move that will certainly suit both team and rider.
1: Yeah, if if that didn't confirm anything else, it certainly confirmed that uh, in a prettier. There are two sides of the garage. One garage absolutely loved them, some Sam Lowes. The other ones clearly didn't. Um, and yeah, Grassini loved them, Sam Lowes. He got them you know, multiple victories in his time there in the past. He's an excellent Moto Two rider. And it's clear that uh, Sam doesn't fa- doesn't like Swiss innovative solutions, so uh, you know he's, he's going back home, which is a, a good spot for him. It's a good team; They've, they, the bike is capable again, and, and Sam you know, was excellent for him uh, a couple of years ago when he last rode for him was a title contender. Um, you know, had race wins underneath him, could have had a, a hometown win if it wasn't for Johan Zarco. It's a good, it's a good hire for Grasini. I think it's, a, I think it's definitely an upgrade on Jorge Navarro he's moving to speed up for next year um it's it's a great fit and uh why not if sam Lowe's is sticking around why not go back to the team that you know arguably gave him more stock than any other yeah, um so yeah in, great, in his career
0: great move. yeah um this weekend then Sam Lowe's will be going for that home victory whether he can achieve it necessarily on the uh the Swiss innovative investors ktm we shall see um in the moto two race which has been given the uh well, in terms of the running order, the main event slot at Substance Weekend, but it's actually the uh, this is the race we don't mind clashing with F1 slot, um, right? <laughs> the of uh, all, 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 all races on Sunday. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're going to be there like myself, um, yeah, please stick around. Please don't leave after MotoGP race because Moto Two still to come on, uh, on Sunday. You um, never know; it might be good. Yeah, it might <laughs> be good. Well, it has been brilliant the last few races. Yeah, um, Jesus. So, so we'll see. Um, MotoGP, though, Loris Baz will be there. Um, he'll be riding the second KTM alongside Bradley Smith. He'll be replacing Paul Spargro. KTM are obliged now to field a replacement um, by regulation. They have to replace Paul Spargro on their second bike. Um, and they brought in Loris Baz um, for this weekend. And uh, given the circumstances, I think that's pretty good. It's as good as a hire as they could have found, really, uh, at this stage. Um, given that he's proven in MotoGP over several years how good he can be in this panic. And he knows Silverstone very, very well. Um, Absolutely. so uh, so a good move from KTM to sign Baz um, I don't think he's going to be featuring at the front this weekend this one I think is quite open Dre the um, British Grand Prix this weekend um, yeah. and first of all I want to give a little bit of a nod to uh, MotoGP social media team, we've praised them already today um, for ref- their Moto3 headline, we can see which kind of TV shows they're liking that they said that Bazeki is going for a great British takeoff this weekend oh. <laughs> which I thought was cringeworthy but also brilliant um well, well so, uh, the, 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 i guess they are
1: very aware that bake-off is back next week of yeah, course they, uh, yeah yeah
0: they uh yeah they didn't have an opportunity there so well done well done donna um but um but yeah uh their MotoGP gp um preview kind of exa- just uh, underlines how open it is this weekend in that mm-hmm. it's a it's a track a bit like bruno that doesn't necessarily suit one bike over another because uh, it has a bit of everything um They've kind of gone down the Marquez versus Lorenzo route, understandably, given that they fought each other for the win all the way to the flag in Austria. And we've seen a couple of brilliant Marquez versus Lorenzo battles at Silverstone in the past. Oh, God um, Back see in, those. in 2013 and 14. Um, both movie star Yamaha riders, of course, have won here in the last few years. Maverick got his first win here. Rossi won in the wet here in 15. Um, mm-hmm. Dovey won on the Ducati here last year. Um, I think it has four different winners in the last four years at Silverstone in MotoGP. Um, and it has to be said, Dre, of any circuit on the calendar in MotoGP, probably alongside the likes of Philip Island and Assen, Silverstone's got a pretty good success rate for good races in MotoGP.
1: In all three classes, I don't even say, yes, in MotoGP for sure. It tends to be a bit of a blank canvas. It tends to be competitive. It tends to bring out the best in most of the teams and... Yeah, we've had a lot of competitive races. Last year, again, was, a, was another classic race. Dovi, um, Maverick, Crutchlow, all in that leading group. And
0: we'll again, Marquez did the blow-up.
1: Yeah, yeah, Marquez had a blow-up, and he would have been in there as well for no, no question. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree that... Uh, this could be all sorts of interesting. And if, if there's another track where Yamaha could do quite well around, it could very well be this one. They tend to like the uh, the sweeping nature of Silverson. A lot of faster corners in there as well. Not so bad on the whole stop-start uh, inclination as well. So there's a lot that there's to like about, about all three major manufacturers' chances around here. Marquez goes well everywhere at this point Ducati are pretty much good everywhere now and Yamaha could easily be in the mix as well expect Crutchlow to go well on home yes. round he does was in the leading group last year as well I'd expect him to be in the mix as well hey and if the Yamahas are decent why not throw Johan Zarko into that mix as well so a lot to potentially like going into the Silverstone weekend
0: yeah a lot to look forward to um whatever happens we'll review it all next weekend on episode 75 A bike live here at Motorsport 101. We'll review the British Grand Prix weekend Um, at Silverstone Across GP, Moto2, and Moto3. We'll also begin our look ahead to the final regular season round of the British Superbike Championship as well. So that's all to come next week. As well as that, um, we have episode 157, he says, um, without checking the numbers. I believe it's 157 we're up to now, isn't it, Trey? Uh, yeah, well, that'll be next. Week, yes. uh, Dre will, all things uh, being well and being equal, will be back for it next week. Um, Absolutely. Not only is Dre back, but hey, Dre, Formula One is back! Yay!
1: Uh, I, I, it's it's kind of amazing. That I've actually missed F one because the season's actually been pretty darn good so far, which is a bit of bit of a surprise for F1 these days, but, uh, Hey, the next chapter of the Hamilton versus Vettel title fight picks up again. We'll be re- reviewing all the action, uh, from a pretty deep double header. We have the formula one, Belgian Grand Prix, the first F1 race of the month. And, uh, a lot of hype in the Ferrari wagon, given upgraded engine Big parts and hey, Belgium. That. Belgium's a bit of a quick boy. So, uh, for a, a lot of pressure on Ferrari this weekend to get back in the title fight after Vettel. He could arguably make the case. Coughed up two two gimmies in uh in, in Hungary and Germany going into the summer break. 20-24 points between them going into the second half of the season. Belgium this weekend. And IndyCar is back as well. They're in a doubleheader as IndyCar heads to Gateway. Look out for lap 101. <laughs> yes. that's... That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> if you listen to last week's show, you'll know all about that. But. Uh yeah, episode 157 of Motorsport 101. I'll be back for that as well um, next week as well. So, yeah, all the action from F1 at Spa, Francon one of the best tracks on in the world. But without question, I love Spa. Um, that and IndyCar at Gateway, another short oval. That's, that's bound to be fun. Last year's race was an absolute classic, the one that pretty much cemented the title um, for Joseph Newgarden last year. And it's getting interesting in that one, too. Just 29 points now covering Scott Dixon and Alex Rossi in what's quickly becoming a bit of a two horse race. For the title, after Rossi completely dominated um, Pocono, only hit, I think only four men were on the same racing lap around there. That's how that's how spread out the field was on that occasion. Joseph Newgarden was fifth and was a lap down. Um, just that's just kind of how mental Pocono was. Well, I don't think we'll be getting that in Gateway, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, an absolutely heated weekend, a doubleheader of F1 and then in, in IndyCar. Check back in for most One next week for that episode one five seven.
0: Yeah, that's all to come next week, and episode 75 of Bike Live as well. To come, my thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me this week. My thanks to all of you for listening uh, to episode 74 of Bike Live as we look back on the British Superbikes at Cadwell Park. Leon hasland the king of the mountain. We will see you once again next week. Bye for now.